on your sneakers, and we'll make you a center. Hello, boys. Good morning, Miss Mason. I would really love to see all of you in music appreciation this year, okay? I'd like to see all of you in music appreciation this year. <laughs> you just might. Oh, I think I'm in love. time of the month for a woman to conceive? A night. I got your pistol right here. I've missed my last two periods. That's all right, dear. You can make them up after school. What are you going to be when you grow up? A burden on society. <laughs> on forever. Hello and welcome to the Film and Water Podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me on the show this week is author, I should say, award-winning author, Aaron Entrada Kelly. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm glad to, glad you could uh, be here. Now, of course, everybody's wondering, Kelly, Kelly, uh, there's no relation between the two of us that we know about. That we know of, yeah. Yeah, we have to look into that. We don't know. There has to be some research or something like that. But, but as far as we know, uh, it's just a total random uh, happenstance here. So we're here to talk about Grease 2, the infamous Grease 2. Um, now, before we get into the plot, I have to ask you, Aaron, like, why did you want to talk about this movie? 
Okay, thanks for asking because I feel I feel like I'm kind of an ambassador for Grease Two. You know, Grease Two <laughs> okay. gets a lot of, uh, you know, people throw a lot of shade at Grease Two. That know? is true. It gets made fun of a lot. It was on um, that show. How did this get made? And okay, and I kind of feel like um, it's not all deserved. So I, I kind of feel like I'm here as the representative of Grease Two and and all Grease Two fans. Well, that is completely fair, because one of the things that, uh, I mean, the, the show that I do here, I don't have a real mission statement other than I just want to kind of talk about movies, and so we vary from, you know, movies that are classics and then movies that are not so much classics, but one of the things I do enjoy, A, is seeing a movie that I'm unfamiliar with and that my guest is passionate about, because that makes me like, oh, okay, let me see what, what, what do they, do I see in this movie what they see? And then second is discovering movies that maybe are unfairly maligned because of course as time goes on and there are more and more movies for people to, to to see and there's only so many hours in the day there are movies that can just be get a bad reputation and that reputation continues with them even if you've never seen them people that have never seen Grease 2 I'm sure think it's a terrible movie because that's its reputation and I, I like to give a movie a chance you know maybe the movie's not as bad as I think it is so I had not seen Grease 2 until a week ago, until we were in preparation for this show. Okay. And so I watched it, and I will say, I came up going, this really isn't that bad a movie. Yeah, see? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen it, and I'm betting that's mostly everybody, uh, it stars Maxwell Caulfield and Michelle Pfeiffer mm-hmm. uh, in, her, in her first movie. Maxwell Caulfield plays Michael, who is the cousin of Sandy, the, play, the, cousin, the character from um, the first movie, played by Olivia Newton-John. And he's an exchange student, and he comes over to Rydell High, and he's kind of a good guy, kind of a good boy. You know, he wears a nice suit, and he's very polite. And he falls in love with Stephanie, uh, the, who's kind of the, the, the rough-and-tumble chick so it's sort of a, a, a gender swap of the of the first film yes is that you've got the the male guy is the nice boy the nice guy and then you've got the, kind of the rough and tumble girl and he falls in love with her she has just broken up with the head of the the biker gang played by uh nogarelli mm-hmm. played by adrian zamed and that's really the kind of central plot of it and the big difference i'd say between the first movie and the second movie behind the scenes is of course this film was directed by a woman uh patricia birch who was the choreographer from the first film, and she got promoted to do this second film. And that, that's unique by itself. 1982, there were not a lot of women directing big-budget Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually thought, like, this is like a fairly entertaining movie. And so I, I'm really glad that we're going to have a chance to talk about it because this movie, I don't think, deserves its reputation as an absolute piece of junk. I totally agree. And I, and I, it's interesting you brought up the female director because one of the things that I really love about Grease 2 is the female representation is much more empowered than in the original Grease, which I also love. So I'm not knocking the original Grease. It's a great movie. But, um, you know, as you know, at the end, Sandy decides to, you know, shed her quote unquote good girl image and put on leather and start smoking so that she can get the attention of you know, John Travolta, Danny Zuko. But in in this film, it is switched because Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Stephanie, is, you know, already kind of a baddie. And he does the same thing in that he tries to change who he is and become this biker guy. But at the end, she tells him that, 
uh, I can't remember what the exact line is, but there's a line in there where she basically tells him that she likes him, you know, no matter what, no, no matter if he's a, a T-bird or if he's some straight-laced guy. Um, so no one, no one is feeling forced or manipulated to really change who they are for the other person. And, um, and I guess it's kind of a serious look at, at the first Greece, but it's really bothersome when you think about what message Greece is sending whenever Sandy comes out at the end looking hot in her, her leather outfit, right? And she has her, <laughs> her red pumps on and she like drops a cigarette in front of him. She doesn't even know how to smoke. Her friends are teaching her how. And then Danny Zuko is wearing like his letterman sweater because he's done this half-hearted attempt to, to try to become a jock for her. But as soon as he sees her in her leather outfit, he throws that that sweater away, and he's like, yes. yeah, let's roll with this. So it's a different message, you know, and I think it's important to think about that, too, because a lot of young people obviously love Greece and Greece too. And that's one of the things, you know, when I, with Greece too, a lot of it is nostalgia, admittedly, because I watched it when I was a, a kid, and I loved Michelle Pfeiffer. I thought she was very cool. Um so when I went back and rewatched it, I've seen it many, many times, but I went back and rewatched it to prepare for this podcast and I had to try to think, okay, let me try not to get, let my nostalgia get in the way and just kind of look at this as a, a movie. And I still don't think it deserves the, the slack that it gets. I'm glad you mentioned the original Grease because that was something I wanted to get into was when I, I remember seeing Grease in the, I saw it as a kid. My dad took me and my sister to it. And then I remembered, I saw it again in, I guess it had to have been 1998 for the 20th anniversary when they did kind of like a re-release. And that was a big deal. That was kind of the beginning of, of that, at least in my life, of where you were seeing older movies re-released. And you were like, oh, I already saw this movie, but I'll watch it again, sure. And I remembered watching Grease in 1998. Maybe it was either 93, which would have been the 15th anniversary, or 98, which would have been the 20th. And I remembered watching it and going, you know... It's, all right, this movie's a classic in that it it endures. It's enduringly popular. But I'm like, this is a, not a great movie um, in terms of its storyline. And that was it was really that thing that you just talked about where mm-hmm. it just completely abandons all pretense of sort of the characters and just saying, oh, well, if you want to get the guy, just become kind of slutty and that'll do it for you. And I remember thinking... Yeah. That's weird. And, it, you know, it, it was really the first time I, I think I ever thought about that a movie that could be considered a classic doesn't isn't always necessarily means it's that good. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so, so therefore, I don't think that Grease 2 has any huge sha- shadow to, to get out from under other than the fact that Grease was a massive financial success. I mean, and that's the reason they made this movie. I mean, a lot of people that don't know how movies get made or why movies get made, they think... Why would you even make Grease 2 if you couldn't get John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John to do it? I mean, what would be the point? I mean, that was always my feeling of, like, when I first heard about the movie, I was like, really? They made a second one without Travolta and Newton-John? But then I was doing some reading, and, of course, the studio went to the producer, Alan Carr, and they said, we're going to pay you $5 million to produce Grease 2. Well, hell, if somebody was going to pay me $5 million to do nearly anything, I would make damn sure it happened. Oh, yeah. Whether, whether it came out good or not, I'd be like, I'm getting that check. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And, and so he, he hired Patricia Birch, and she tried to get Newton John and Travolta, and they weren't interested. They were like, nah, we don't feel like doing And so by that point, it's like, well, we gotta we got to keep this ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like... Um, you know, you mentioned the, the messaging in the first one, and, and 
when you think back at the first one, you know, there's the scene where uh, Danny Zuko and Sandy are at the drive-in. He makes a move on her. She's not interested. He tries to pressure her, and then she, like, basically elbows him um, and leaves the drive-in. And that's kind of the end of their relationship. But then at the end, she decides, you know, to, to wear leather and smoke cigarettes. And with Grease 2, I feel like... Um, you can tell that there is a, a female influence behind the direction. And is it? A, it's certainly not a perfect movie. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say you know, no. it's the best musical film ever made. But um, a lot of the, I think a lot of the criticisms that people could have against Grease 2, you could also make similar criticisms against the original. You know, the characters look like they're in their 40s half the time. <laughs> right. A lot of it's cheesy. A lot of the dialogue's cheesy. A lot of the plot line is cheesy. Well, sure, but that's the, that's true for, for Greece. That's true for the, the even the stage play of Greece. You know, it's it's that's kind of what it's about. So, um, you know, and, and certainly um, Caulfield, the, the actor, you know, he wasn't exactly exciting um, <laughs> to watch. Well, that, yeah. So, but Michelle Pfeiffer and Zamed, I feel like those two really made, you know, for me anyway, I felt like they made the film. They were entertaining to watch. They had range which, within the range that was expected of them in the film. The music was catchy, and I thought it was catchy. There was more group numbers than the original Grease, but it was fun, you know, I thought. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's more or less fun than the original Grease. I think it just hasn't endured, like you said. And maybe it's because of people's expectations as well. You know, when you approach a sequel, if you love the first one especially, your expectations are going to be, you know, within certain confines. And and it might be hard to live up to those if you don't have John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, which everyone associates with the Grease franchise, you know? Right. I- yeah, I mean, you mentioned Maxwell Caulfield, and to me, that is really the the problem, the biggest problem of this movie, is that he's just kind of a blank, mm-hmm. you know? He's just kind of a generic pretty boy, and this really damaged his career. He has talked about that he couldn't get arrested, basically, in Hollywood for <laughs> 10 years after this. And then if you look at Michelle Pfeiffer's career, the next film she did after this was Scarface, and then after that, she did Lady Hawk, and boom, she was off on a rocket, and she became Michelle Pfeiffer. But if you watch the film, you can sort of see why. I mean, she is luminous mm-hmm. in this movie. I mean, she is just she is creating a very, very specific character in a film full of purposely designed um, types. You know, very broad types. Adrian Zemed is very cartoony as as the head biker. She's very specific. Like the scene that she has in the diner with with Michael where she's eating the burger and she's yes. complaining about the ketchup and stuff like that seems like a real moment she seems like a real person even though this film is very cartoony and there's musical numbers and I'm like that's like good on Hollywood that they were able to look at this film and get past the fact that it wasn't a success and and all the bad things about it and say yeah, but she's good. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, everybody could figure out how talented she was by the fact that she became this massive movie star immediately after this. Yes, and and to speak to Caulfield, you know, of course, I don't know the guy, but I know that that he he you know was knocking the effect that Grease Two had on his career. But when you watch the film, you kind of think, well, is it this movie or is it you in the movie? I mean, it just right. kind of felt like, um, you know, I don't feel like that role asked more or less than any other role in the film and if Michelle Pfeiffer is bringing it like she was 
Um, I'm kind of like, well, why couldn't you bring it more? I mean, he had no virtually no range in the in the role, and I don't think it's the fault of the role or the movie. Um, you know, even when he was sad or when he was, you know, forlornly pining after Michelle Pfeiffer, his facial expressions were pretty much the same. <laughs> right. Interchangeable. Right. Like, I don't know if you're sleeping, if you're bored or you're in love, you know, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but you know, he's, he's kind of flat. So I kind of feel like, you know, he's throwing, he's throwing, um, words at the movie, but I don't know that it was really the movie's fault completely. And I also wonder if now here's a question, if they had a better male lead who, who had the same exact material and, did a better job with the film have been more successful. I don't know, but, um, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of range. He was just kind of a one note. Right. I mean, the whole, the, 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 the plot as it kicks in is that of course he needs money because he wants to buy, he thinks that if he's kind of like a bad boy and he can get a motorcycle, he'll impress Stephanie. And so, but he doesn't have any money. So he starts writing papers for the, the guys in the gang and he starts, you know, on the side and because he's a smart guy and he's writing, he starts earning money and he buys a motorcycle and he, is, he adopts this sort of uh, alternate persona and he's got the goggles on and the helmet and she and Stephanie doesn't know who he is so when he's in this other persona as the biker guy it's this whole Superman Lois Lane thing going on and I like that I like that gag, I mean I know it's you know, um, it's like the whole thing of like, well she can't she can't recognize him just because he has goggles on. But, you know, again, it's it's a Superman-Clark Kent deal, which they even literally mention in the movie. They talk about Superman in the in the movie, so they're sort of copping to it. Yes. But but when he's playing his bad guy role, like, he's virtually kind of the same. He's yes. sort of just like the same kind of dull guy. And that, that that's I, I kept kind of waiting for him to kick in. And there's a, there's a scene earlier on at the bowling alley where he walks home with um, the younger sister, Dolores, Yes. Um, played by Pamela Adlon, of all things. Uh, I mean, yeah, Pamela Adlon's famous now as this comedian, this very sharp and slice comedian. But here she is as a little kid. But there's this great scene where they walk home where I feel like the director just told Pamela Adlon to just ad-lib. Because she's just talking extemporaneously. And she's really funny. Like, she's very specific. And I really like her. And he's not reacting at all. And I'm kind of like... What's going on here? Like you're you're really getting a lot of material from this little girl, and you're just sort of impassively letting her talk. And I, so, as the movie wore on again, I, I did like this movie, but I did feel like there's there's like this hole at the center of it. Yes, I mean I agree, and I feel like you know it's a lot of it is obviously him. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, she's great. She is great in the role, and I, he's definitely the um, the weak link you know, of the whole thing. But, um, but as far as, so what did you think about the music? There's a question. Did you, I actually, did you, I, I, I liked the music quite a bit. Uh, I was actually going to ask you, like, did you have a favorite musical number? I like when Tab Hunter is in this movie as one of the teachers. Yeah. And he has a song, I believe it's called Reproduction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a really clever, it's smutty, but so is all the other songs in Greece. But I actually thought that was really catchy and really clever. I liked it a lot. Yes, I like that song a lot as well. And uh, I believe uh, the the female teacher, you know, the foxy female teacher is Stella Stevens. Billy Fisher's mother, I believe. Yes, yes. that's right. Um, I like that number too. But definitely my favorite is Cool Writer with Michelle Pfeiffer. And, um, you know, where she's, she's climbing the ladder and she's telling Michael that she, she wants a, um, you know, hell on wheels, I think is what she's saying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably my favorite. Number. She's just so much fun to watch in the movie. You know, she's she's she looks amazing, but she's like you said, she feels like a real person. Um, you know, she she certainly know Olivia Newton John as far as singing goes, but as far as likability on screen, I find her much more engaging. Just. Just that she's she feels very genuine, like you said. She feels, you know, kind of like someone you could hang out and have a beer with or something. Um, so I really liked that. That's probably my favorite musical note. I also like the first um, Back to School, you know, when they go into school. And, the opening number, right. Yeah, their big number where they're, you know, dancing into school, as we all did on the first day of school. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> they're like clamp climbing the flagpole and everything. Um, I like that. And I like the ongoing shtick with the... You know, the principal and her assistant, um, just like... Oh, Eve, Eve Arden as the... Yes. her Eve Arden's final film uh, as the principal. That's right, because, I, you know, her the jokes on the um, the morning announcements, I remember on the first one she says, uh, in Greece 1, she says, if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter, which <laughs> is, you know, really hilarious. And then in this one she says, um, she's talking, she's encouraging people to, to join the band, and I think she says... Um, you know, if you have an instrument, it's better to play with others than play with yourself. You know, <laughs> so she has these these little sticks in each film, which I find funny. So I, I love Eve Arden as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it wouldn't. I mean, it wasn't surprising that the musical numbers have a lot of life to them because, as I said, uh, this film was directed by the the choreographer from the first film, and she does the choreography for for this movie too, which I. I would have to think is one of the few times that's ever happened where a choreographer served as director. Yeah. But Patricia Birch really knows how to shoot musical numbers, and not a lot of directors do. Um, just a couple episodes ago, I did a, a show on Annie, uh, directed by John Huston. And while John Huston is one of the greatest film directors to ever walk the earth, I thought the musical numbers were sort of done in a relatively flat well, kind of pedestrian style, not a whole lot of zip to them, but these really do, and I think that's because she, Patricia Birch, knew what she was doing. She she knew how to make it really work, and she, after this film flopped so horribly, she basically just went back to being a choreographer. Yeah. Um, I am fascinated as to what we talk. We've been sort of dinging on Max, Maxwell Caulfield a little bit. I am fascinated when I was doing some reading about like who else could have been in this movie, and that Patricia Birch auditioned Tom Cruise to play Nogarelli, and I'm like, I'm trying to get my brain around the idea of Michelle Pfeiffer and Tom Cruise in this movie. Oh my gosh. You know what? I think, you know, I don't know how you feel about Tom Cruise. I know a lot of people are, are kind of lukewarm on him, but I actually really like him as an actor. I think, I think, um, you know, I could, it is kind of hard to wrap your head around at this point, but knowing what we know about Tom Cruise's career and everything he's done since then, but that would have been that would have been pretty interesting. Who else? Uh, who else did they say who else was up for that? She also I don't know about that part. They know that Patricia Birch talked to Deborah Harry as being huh? one of the one of the one of the gang, one of the girl gang, and Deborah Harry thought she was too old. She was like, I'm too old to be looking like I'm in high school and like I, while, while ostensibly that is true, I would also argue like if you have a movie that has Michelle Pfeiffer and Debbie Harry in it, it's like there's some sort of weird singularity that's going to happen where there's too much coolness going on at one point. Like, this, yeah. I think having 
one of the coolest people ever to walk the earth, Debbie Harry, in yeah. your 50s musical, just people's heads would have exploded. Well, and look, I mean, talk about someone being too old for the role. Kaniki in, in, in Greece looks like he's oh, right. his grandfather, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? What are you doing in high school? Like, how many times were you held back? I don't know. You look like you're about 45. But <laughs> that would have been very cool. That would, yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the other performers in this, you got Lorna Luft as Paulette. She's the one who sort of uh, starts falling in love with, with Nogarelli. Yeah. And you got Maureen Teefy as Sharon, one of the other girls. Maureen Teefy, I know from fame. And played, she played uh, Lucy Lane in Supergirl. And she kind of had like a good early 80s and then disappeared after that. But, I mean, you, you mentioned how this, this film kind of concentrates on the girls. And I think that that is true. I think for the most part, it is told from their point of view. And I have to figure that's coming from Patricia Birch. I mean, that's just the way it, the way it is. I mean, like the scene that um, Sharon has with Demucci uh, in the, the bomb shelter where he tries to pretend that the, there's a, a nuclear bomb has gone off so he can get with her mm-hmm. because they're like, what the hell? Life's, life's ending anyway. Like, it's... That... If it had been directed a different way, that could have been horribly unfunny. Yes. Uh, but yes. but because of, I think, the way Patricia Birch does it, you're always on Sharon's side, and you never feel any real sense of menace. I mean, it's creepy. It's it, But I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. But do you feel like that number worked for you? Yeah, yeah we, I feel like, you know, of course I was uncomfortable, but then but then it's um, it's kind of almost like you're in on the joke, and the joke right. is on him. Uh, but the person I was watching it with was when that, when that scene came on, and he hadn't seen it before, he said, you know, this is this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> I just said, you know, basically, just wait, it'll be all right, you know, because in the end, of course, he's trying to 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 persuade her that the end of the world is coming. They're going to bomb everything, so they need to hook up because they don't want to go out, you know, never having hooked up. And you know, at the end, she's like, you know, let's get out of here, and she just kind of pushes him away and runs out, and you know, so he, he doesn't get there, you know, which is the important part of the whole right. scenario, right? But um, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, is, is it the most comfortable place to be? No, but at the same rate, you feel like you're, you're in on the joke and that the joke is on him, which is as it should be, right? Right. Um, so I agree. It's very much from from the pink lady's point of view. Uh, by the way, thank you for calling them a gang because uh, the guy I was watching them kept calling it a club. <laughs> he says... I thought I thought the, the the girls in the pink club had to had to go with the boys in the leather jacket club, and I said they're not clubs, they're gangs. <laughs> you know, those are two very different things. This isn't like the beta club, or the key club. You know, they're obviously very tough. Uh, they have jackets uh, and motorcycles and stuff. Um, so yeah, I feel like I feel like we're very much on the girl's side in this. And then if you think back, speaking of creepy, if we're going to talk about uh, Greece, you know, if you go back, I don't know when the last time you saw Greece was, or li- actually listened to the words for, for Greece Lightning. It's very... Oh, Greece Lightning is really smutty. It's very smutty. And then, you know, talk about this, um, you know, trying to persuade girls to, you know, get with you. I mean, that the whole song is about that. You know, yeah. so... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I thought it was, I thought, I enjoyed seeing it from, from the female perspective. And, you know, the, and the guys in the, in the movie are, you know, they're kind of doofuses, let's face it. Um, 
or DoFi. I don't know what the plural is of DoFi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're coining a new word here. Yeah, yeah, they're DoFi. So, but but that's part of the humor of the whole thing, right? Um, so I think it, I feel like it's it's just as quirky as the original Grease. Yeah, I mean, then the film. Yeah, again, I did some reading about it, and it was a very disorganized shoot. Um, we know Dee Dee Cohn, who was in the first movie, played Frenchie in the first movie. She's back here because uh, they talk about how her, her beauty school career didn't, didn't uh, pan out. Yeah. And she, like, disappears halfway through the movie. Yeah. And I was reading about that and like, why that happened. It was basically because they were changing the script so regularly that they just at some point wrote her out of the movie while they were shooting. They just and they they went to her and they were like, oh, you know what, Didi, we don't need you anymore. And like, what what a way to make a movie, right? Um, and again, I'm surprised the thing holds together as well as it does. We talked about one of the other musical numbers that I wanted to mention that I really liked was the the Who's That Guy song when Michael shows up for the first time yes. in his biker gear and they start singing about Who's That Guy. Like, that's a really good number and it's well staged. Uh, I mean, that's it. I I really thought it was you know really well done and. I, another thing I had read initially was that this was planned to be the second of four movies. Yes. Uh, and, a, and a TV series. And, you know, when you look at it that way, you can kind of say, well, you know what? If they could make that work, why not have Rydell High be the frame where you just have different students coming in every year and every, every movie is a musical. So I could see why you would look at Greece as a brand that you could have extended out forever. I mean, it made sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and kind of to speak to your point about the, the choreography, you know, it's definitely, you know, I defy anyone to say that it's not lively, you know, it's very, and, you know, speaking of Annie, Whenever you think about something that's been performed on stage, you know, obviously when you have these big numbers and, and uh, you know, particularly with Annie when they're doing their Hard Knock Life number and you see it performed live, it's full of energy and it's very right. engaging. Um, and like you said, it's prob- I'm sure it's deceptively uh, it's difficult to replicate that on film because you have all these, these constraints with how you can shoot it and everything. But... Um, with Grease too, that that liveliness and that spirit that that kind of is expected of the Grease brand, if you will, it, it really does come through. You know, um, when, and whenever there's a musical number, it's it's got a lot of energy behind it. It's very lively. Um, there's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of dancing. Um, so I, I thought I thought she did a great job as far as that goes with with you know the limitations that you're given to portray these dance and song numbers right and the, the final number the final thing at the uh, sort of the uh, the homecoming thing i love the budget like this high school budget is huge because the homecoming is like <laughs> super deluxe with these like at a pool and it's like a luau thing and it's like my high school was like just had their thing in a gym you know i mean it was like it's not anything this deluxe but there's this big stunt at the end and i mean it's it's really again it's very well staged and of course that's when uh, Stephanie realizes who Michael really is and stuff like that. And there's this very elaborate dream sequence that she has. Yes. The musical number where he's in, like, it's, everything looks like it's in sort of like a post-apocalyptic ruins <laughs> and everything is all smoke. It's like it's something out of the road warrior all of a sudden. Very, very strange. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's true. And whenever I rewatched it a week or so ago, I'm thinking... Oh boy, you know, because here I am, I'm going to get on here and I'm going to defend this film 
and that that sequence is you know I'm, i was just thinking what the hell is happening right now <laughs> i mean he's because she thinks he's dead you know right right she, she thinks he has he's driven his motorcycle off the cliff or whatever so she's i guess she's seeing him in heaven is is the thought but Right, and she's in like this diaphanous all white gown. It's it very. It looks like a like a total eclipse of the heart video or oh. something. It's very weird for the rest of the film. And I think she runs to him, and it's in. Of course, it's in slow mo because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it has to be. But um, yeah, yeah, that that was very elaborate. And, and you're right; they have like the pool, and they have some kind of. They have a luau at the end, and I think in my high school, I don't even know if we had anything. I think they were just you know pretty much by. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we had senior skip day. I think that that, that was a little different, you know. Uh, <laughs> make room, make room for the next set of kids. Come on, let's, yeah. let's get this moving. Yeah, but there was definitely no luau and no no pool and no crowning of whatever. But um, another thing that 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 struck me as funny is you know they have this rival biker gang, right? The Scorpions, who are also in the original Greece, and. You know, they come flying through at this luau, and then all of a sudden, they they pretty much disappear as well. Kind of like for maybe they went wherever Frenchie went. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like Frenchie, the scorpions, and everyone's lost socks. They just fell into the, some yeah. abyss that we never see or hear from them again. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for when when you realize the movie is is sort of um, as chaotically put together as this one was. I mean, again, you have to judge the movie for what it, what you're seeing. You can't you can't keep making you know, value judgments and saying, well, think about, I mean, you know, you, you have to judge the movie as you're seeing it, but nevertheless, it's, I, I absolutely went into this movie with, you know, my preconceived notion of like, oh, this is going to be an absolute disaster. And as it unfolded, I'm just going, okay, this really isn't a disaster. It's just, it's, it's, it's following up an incredibly famous movie. Yeah. And then it has the unfortunate, uh, unluck to have been a flop and movies that are flops tend to, um, you know, have a bad reputation. Now, it is worth mentioning, this movie opened on June 11th, 1982. There was another movie that opened on June 11th, 1982 that was kind of popular, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, so, I've never heard I, of it. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 I mean, the John Carpenter's The Thing was utterly destroyed by E.T. because it opened a week later and nobody wanted to see a, a movie about a mean alien. Everybody wanted to see a happy alien. Oh, the same and, on my list of one of my top favorite horror films. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, that that movie, uh, I mean, that is one of my top 20 favorite movies of all time. I've seen yes. it hundreds of times. That's a movie that wears the fact that E.T. kicked its ass, like, has, like on its sleeve, you know, it's kind of like, huh? hey, yeah, like, you know, at the time, nobody paid attention to us because they, they wanted the happy alien, but look how good this movie is. And yet Greece suffered, Greece 2 suffered the same fate, but it doesn't get that critical revival of like, oh, hey, wait a minute, this was actually pretty good. I mean, it's not, the, and the other two movies that, had, that were open a week earlier were Star Trek 2 and Poltergeist. Wow. So, you can't possibly blame Grease 2 for not making any money under that kind of competition. That's I mean, come on. Point. Yeah, putting it in context. Now, here's a question that, that I'm curious of, to get your opinion on. So, you know, sometimes these movies come out, they're flops, everyone everyone believes that they're bad. It, you know, Mommy Dearest is a good example. But then they, right. become camp, they become camp films, they become campy. What do you think has prevented Grease 2 from kind of crossing over into, oh, this is a terrible movie, into, oh, this is good campy fun 
I, I just think not enough people have seen it. I just think it's reputation. First of all, I will say the title, Grease 2, is an awful title. And, and I did read that actually Maxwell Caulfield apparently tried to petition them to change it to Son of Grease, which I thought had a little bit more panache. And the, the studio was like, no, 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 Grease 2. And so, like, I always have found that adding two to the end of your movie just, I, to me kind of underscores how little imagination is going into this you know it just, yeah, it's just yeah. put just put two at the end of it grease two um there's a reason why well most of those have to do with money but i mean there's a reason why most sequels now don't have numbers anymore they you know it's like grease the winter soldier or grease civil war you know i mean they they have to, like they have their own you know the force awakens or whatever they have to, they have their own special name but i think that's part of it is that uh, you know, it just it just sounds so pedestrian. Grease two, yeah. more of that. And you mentioned Olivia Newton John, and it's kind of funny because I, I talked about this a couple of months ago when I did an episode on Xanadu, featuring Olivia Newton John. That's another movie that that I went into with a real chip on my shoulder, and my guest loved it, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I watch it again. This isn't that good a movie, but it's not not awful. It's Olivia Newton. It's funny that Olivia Newton John and Michelle Pfeiffer have, I think, a similar problem, but it's the opposite problem, is that Olivia Newton-John was a masterful musical performer, but not much of an actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when you put her in movies where she had to do something else other than sing and dance, people were like, eh, you know, and Hollywood didn't know what to do with her. So they kept putting her in movies where she had to act, and she really wasn't that great at that. But you make her, you put her in a musical... She's great. She's awesome. Yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer is just the opposite. Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, does these musical numbers with a relative uh, certain amount of aplomb. You mentioned the one at the end the, where she's uh, dancing on the ladder, which made me nervous. Like, I kept thinking she was going to fall because it looks very dangerous. Um, but, like, she handles them fine. But in the scenes where she has to act, she's great. She's really good. And there's a reason why she became such a big star. And And so... It's like they never were able to, I think, find in either of these Grease films someone that could do both those things, which is hard. That's yeah. a really hard skill. That you could be a great musical performer and also a really great actress. That's the reason why there's so few of them. But I think that's part of the reason is that I think most people just hear Grease 2 and they, they just dismiss it because they've never seen it. And so, you know, maybe, Aaron, if you and I can help <laughs> stem the tide a little bit. I mean, anybody listening to this, I don't want to oversell it. No. But... It's it's not a great movie, but it is not the utter disaster that it reputation suggests. And I do have a great amount of sympathy for Patricia Birch, whose career as a director was just killed in its crib because this movie bombed so badly. And that's not fair. We need more women directors, and it's not fair that she never got another chance to direct a movie just because this thing flopped so heavily. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I, and I want to agree with you there, too. You know, in no way am I saying this is a great film or, you know, oh, it deserved an Oscar or something right, like that. Right. I mean, it is not a great film, but, but, it is a, but I would say it is a fun film. It's a light mm-hmm. film, and it just doesn't deserve the, the hate that it gets because, um, you know, whenever you're talking about naming it Grease 2, it got me thinking. And it does, when you stick a 2 on it, it does kind of, underscore even more that it's forever the the stepchild of the original yep. big blockbuster hit. So, um, you know, Caulfield, maybe they should have hired him to do name the movie instead of be a movie. Because, <laughs> right, maybe so. <laughs> because that's pretty clever. You know, I like that. Um, plus, I feel like if it's Son of Greece, that definitely sounds like a camp 
some camp movie. You know? Right. It's it's got it's got more pizzazz. It's Son of Greece. Like, okay, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. I can dig that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't want to oversell it either. I just want to defend it as not being the trash heap that that people say it is. You know? Right. Yeah. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie for the most part. I mean, and in fact, the, the, the movies now that they make that are kind of like intentionally bad, like the Sharknado movies, like I can't stand those things because to me it's like, ah, we're, we're purposely making garbage. I'm like, eh, I don't want to see that. I, I, I want people to, to try. Yeah. And this movie is people that are trying. Um, I, like you said, I think Maxwell Caulfield, I think Hollywood sees somebody like him and he's so handsome. He's so leading man handsome that they're just like, oh, he must be a good actor because look at him. And you're like, no, meh, maybe not. You know, yeah. now, again, Michelle Pfeiffer is one of those people who could act and is ridiculously gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, descended from the heavens. Pretty, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, so and again, that's why she became as big as, as she became, because she she could do it all. And there's one other moment in this movie I wanted to mention, and it's a minor one. But I think it's I think it's worth it because again I was sort of looking for the the parts of this movie that I really like. The end of the film where she where Stephanie and Michael finally get together. You know he's jumped his motorcycle and there's all this chaos and there's stuff at the pool and then they finally the the music swells and they start to kiss. Mm-hmm. When they have their big kiss at the end, Patricia Birch drops out all the music and it's just silence and you just hear the two of them like kissing. And it's actually a really powerful moment. And in a, in, a, in a movie musical where you would expect the music to be from stem to stern, I like that in that moment she was like, no, 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 we'll just, just like let this moment breathe as these two people that have been sort of star-crossed the whole thing finally get together. I thought, that's a really nice touch. It was really subtle. That is. Now, see, I didn't even notice that. I'll have to go back and, and rewatch it. It's kind of like in Godfather 3, you know, where Al Pacino's – daughter dies and he screams and there's no sound coming out right you know? right <laughs> now i'm comparing greece to well godfather 3 you mean greece yeah. 2 greece 2 is better than godfather 3 at least i would absolutely agree with that statement yeah <laughs> that's completely no i that part really jumped out of me because i find that a lot of movies are overscored you know they just yeah. they're just like just drown you in music and again especially in a musical you would you would you're going in you're expecting music from 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 beginning to end but i like that in that moment she was like no 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 the, the whole movie is about these two getting together, and now they finally are going to get together. So let's just let it breathe. And, I mean, you know, again, I'm a guy. I'm like, I'd want to kiss Michelle Pfeiffer, too. I mean, why not? I mean, it's a probably a pretty big deal. So I liked all that a lot. And so I said, and um, a lot of the people that listen to this show have kids. And I don't know if I would recommend this for little kids because, again, there's a little too much smutty humor, like the reproduction number and stuff like that. But nevertheless, like, I think – it would be an ideal movie for teens, for teen kids, because like, it's it's lively and there isn't anything really crazy in it. Like it's not it's a, it's rated PG, so it's there's nothing like just not like four-letter words or anything like that. Yeah, or even tweens, you know, like middle school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just good fun, you know. I mean, there's nothing inherently harmful about anything that's going on. I mean, if you think about comparatively in Greece one, you know, Rizzo has her pregnancy scare and yeah, right. has some very vulgar words. So, you know, I would say if, if you're going to have your kids watch, uh, musicals, which they should, uh, <laughs> Greece mm-hmm. two would be a better choice than Greece one at a certain age. Right. Because it, you know, it, it's a little less, um, you know, Greece, Greece, the original Greece is pretty, it's pretty smutty in and of itself. And it deals with some, some stuff. 
know, right. Rizzo's and they, a bun in the oven, I think they even say in that one. Right. And they did that live on television a couple of years ago, Grease. Like, and so that's how much of, like, family entertainment that's become. Uh, I, I don't see Grease 2 being done live anytime soon, but I, I, I wanted to, after I watched the movie, I mean, I was excited just to talk to you anyway. Um, uh, I read your book, and I, I, I read one of your books. I thought it was fantastic. Hello Universe, we should mention that. It's a Newbery Award-winning book, Hello Universe. And so I was excited to talk to you, and then when you picked out a movie that I'd never seen, I was like, well, cool, I get to discover something. And, I, you know, it's one of those movies that I hope I don't hate it, because then it's going to be really awkward when we do the show. But as I watched, I was like, okay, this is this is... This is a, a cute movie. It's got there's got a lot more to it going on than you would expect, and I like being able to use the show as a force for good. You know, to be able to say, yeah. "Hey, everybody!" In case you might dismiss this, maybe you can give it a chance. So I'm kind of glad we had a chance to talk about this, a, a movie that hardly anybody else is going to talk about in a positive way. Yes, 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 I agree. And the the one final thing I will add, just as a personal note, there is a scene in the there's a scene in a bowling alley where. Uh, somebody uh, throws a bowling ball and it goes so out of control that it lands into another lane. Yes. And smashes pins. You and I have a friend in common where that they actually did that once. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's the same friend that I watched the movie with. And when that yeah. happened, I said, I asked if that's how you bowl. And he said, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, that, that, I was with him when that happened, and I will tell you, it is every bit as embarrassing as what you see in the movie. Cause well, that's a not, given when you go public places with him. Well, that's a good point. So, Now, here's <laughs> so. another quick fun fact that I also really liked about the film, was that Lorna Luft is Judy Garland's daughter. That's right. Yes, that's, that's right. a fun yeah. fact as well. That's, again, you know, great musical history of uh, yeah. performers and stuff. I mean, her sister's Liza Minnelli, for Pete's sake. So, yeah. You know? Yeah, this, her- this, this is a... It, it's a it's a cute movie and it does not deserve uh, it's it being buried in a shallow grave in all these years. There you go. So, uh, like I said, if if you ever, anybody out there, if you see it, maybe you might want to give it a chance. So I think it's it's a cute, fun film, and I I it's a shame we didn't get a Grease three or a Grease four. I think this is actually would have been a kind of interesting. Um, concept and of course there essentially was a Grease TV series they just called it Glee <laughs> right right exactly and you yeah, know with really everything being re- regurgitated maybe, maybe there'll be another there'll be a whole new Grease franchise maybe in a few years why not remaking everything why not remake Grease yeah there's no problem with that so well I said I think that is going to do it for Grease 2 Aaron uh, it was a real honor to talk to you and have you come on the show this was just so much fun it was a lot of fun I'd love to come back sometime We'll have to talk about the thing, maybe. That would be a nice. We'll okay, talk about talk. other movies that ET destroyed at the box office. That'll be oh, their God, ongoing the theme. So good, yes. So, um, where can people find you on the internet? I am on uh, my website is erinintradakelly.com, and I'm also on Twitter, Aaron Intrada, and Instagram at Aaron Intrada. So, I'm all over the internet. Awesome. We so said we will have that link in the show notes, everybody. And like I mentioned, uh, Aaron wrote a Newbery award-winning book called Hello Universe. It's a young adult book. It's a really wonderful, charming book. So, again, if you're out there, a lot I know a lot of people that listen to this show have kids. And if you want to get a really great book for your kid, I would cannot recommend Hello Universe uh, more. It's really very, 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 very enjoyable. And you have a new book coming out relatively soon, right? I do in September. It's my first fantasy, and it's called Leilani of the Distant Sea. 
Amazing. Very cool. I look forward to that. So, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Of course, everybody, if you want to listen to back episodes of this show, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and on Stitcher. And uh, if you uh, want to talk about movies on Twitter, go to the Twitter feed, which is at Film and Water Pod. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. Darkness in the middle of the night Blazing like a mother with a fist of dynamite He ain't fooling no one on that pile of chrome and steel Burning up the pavement like he was some kind of wheel He's looking for a rumble and some heads are gonna bust He's gonna take a tumble with one solitary thrust Hey, say it, I knew it was my call.